Good evening, Newington Green. I said, good evening, Newington Green. Welcome. Everybody here is very, very welcome here tonight. My name is Dan Delamotte. Don't worry, I've not heard of me either. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping before we begin. We're not expecting any fire alarms. So if the fire alarm goes off, you really do need to panic. You really do need to fight your way to the front door, you know, push everyone out of the way and make your way uh, to the street. Um, this is the um, fourth event as part of GLF at 50, the Art of Protest exhibition, which is on here, upstairs and downstairs, until the 16th of December. Here comes Geoffrey Hinton. You're late, Gail, you're late. Ladies and gentlemen, Geoffrey Hinton! <laughs> and she wants a seat in the front row. Well, maybe you should have been here earlier, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, blimey. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yes, GLF at 50, The Art of Protest. That's the exhibition that's on here until the 16th of December. This is the fourth time we've convened on a Monday evening. We've celebrated Queer China UK. We have celebrated the heritage of Queer Islington. We have celebrated the history and heritage. Look, she comes late, and now she causes a big fuss. Uh, we've celebrated the history and heritage of the communes, the GLF communes. Next Monday, we'll be here again with a short international series of um, short films. Do come along to that. That's a, a fundraiser for the Cinema Museum. But enough about all that. You're here tonight. You're here tonight for drag, power, and politics. Can I get an ooh? Can I get an E? I'll probably get that from you later, an E. Uh, anyway, anyway, it, you'll be delighted to hear that it's not me. <laughs> no heckling, girl, no heckling. You'll be delighted to hear that it's not me uh, in the hot seat tonight. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce your incredible living legends that make up the panel. They are from the Gay Liberation Front and Blue Lips, Gretel Feather! From Blue Lips, Lavinia Co-op! And your host, it's Crystal! I think this works. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Drog. How are we all doing? Great. Fabulous. So this is drag, power, and politics. Between these two, I think we've got a fair shake at both of them. Um, I'm just excited to get into conversation and for you to get to know these two wonderful people. For those who don't know me, my name's Crystal. I am the hairy transvestite that made a splash on RuPaul's Drag Race UK season one. And if, um, and really that's all there is to say about me. It's not about me tonight, it's about these two. So shall we get into it? So, hello, both of you. Hello. We've been having lovely chat downstairs, but it's so nice to be in, on stage with you both. Um, I wanted to get started with asking how you found your way into drag. And maybe you can tell the audience a little bit. Of, oh, you're sitting on your mic, dear. <laughs> I don't know what that, I don't know what your butt's got to say, but. <laughs> it's talkative, very talkative. <laughs> Stuart, shall we start with you? How did, how did you get your start in drag? Um, well, I, I was in the street theatre group of the Gay Liberation Front, um, and um, the first uh, show that we did was in support of uh, women's liberation, the four women who had been arrested at the Royal Albert Hall uh, for disrupting the Miss World contest in 1970. Um, and they were due to appear at Bow Street Magistrates Court to answer the charges. Uh, so, uh, GLF Street Theatre went along to support them, and uh, 
uh, one of the costumes that we had a selection of costumes to choose from, which was all lucky. Uh, they came from um, one of the younger ones in the street theatre group, whose name I can't remember, unfortunately. Um, but he worked for Berman's, the costumier. And so he uh, acquired uh, all these costumes that allegedly had been made for um, Fellini's Satyricon and been rejected. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I had this sort of like a bathing suit uh, with um, a woman's bathing suit with padded breasts and uh, uh, blue eyes painted for nipples. So <laughs> it's kind of very surrealist, really. Uh, and uh, uh, was so that your first it. time in drag? That was my first time in drag, yes. At a protest? At a protest. Oh, that's so yes. punk rock. I love uh, it. In, 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 Bo <laughs> in Bow Street, yes. With lots of police and the BBC, um, uh, BBC Two cameras and crew came and started filming us and stuff, um, which was very nice. But unfortunately, it must have hit the um, cutting room floor, as these things do, uh, because that day, uh, I think it was the day that Royals Royce collapsed and something else drama happened, probably in Northern <laughs> Ireland, and uh, England lost the ashes, as though that was news, you know. So there we are. Being ignored by the press is like a drag tradition. It's fine. <laughs> um, and the name Gretel, can you tell me where that came from? Um, yes, I had a, uh, a friend in Gaelib uh, that I was living with. And uh, oh, he's a lovely man and very, very talented. Uh, and, but he was completely undomesticated. I'd never lived with anyone like that in my life before. And the one thing that annoyed me, the rest I could put up with, but, was he'd never cleaned the bath. And I just felt like some kind of au pair in this situation, you know. And uh, I got a bit annoyed one day and I left him a note saying, hey, you know, please clean the bath and who do you think you are? And uh, I'm unsigned it, Gretel. Uh, I was thinking of a German au pair name and that's the one that came into my head. So um, an hour or so later, I went out and I was just walking down the street and there was this friend coming towards me and he said, oh, hello, Gretel, how are you? And I thought, he knows my name, oh, God, it's all around the village, you know. Was, oh. So there you are. No going back into the closet then. None whatsoever <laughs> with a name like that. <laughs> Fabulous, thank you. Lavinia, how, how did you find drag? I think it was really with the Blue Lips, a gay theatre troupe we got involved with. It was sort of after the hippie, we were, had gone through the hippie thing, so it was very androgynous and we were really experimental and things like that, growing long hair and things and beads and bangles. And, but then uh, we got together with a group, we, Betty Bourne from the Blue Lips started mm -hmm. a, a thing and then uh, we did a show called The Ugly Duckling and it was, yeah, that was the beginning of, yeah, we did White Face and sort of clown, you know, sort of clown kind of a look a bit, but no, that was amazing. First time doing that. Hmm. <laughs> what happened? Describe that first, that first time to me. God, they gave me a solo part. <laughs> it was too much. I'd done, the da I'd done a lot of dancing. I was learning dancing. And then uh, they said, I, um, I got a really big part, uh, the ugly duckling. I was the oh. ugly. 
No, it was good. It was good. <laughs> and the story goes, um, you're thrown out of Normality Farm, so with the ugly ducklings, there's, oh, no, the eye thrown out. And then you come across the punk rocklings, and they're all punk, and that, they say, be like us. And then you come across the drag queens, Goosey Nafarina and Queen Cockerell. And they say, be like us, and they get shot by their agent. But anyway, and then, then they come across the uh, leather men, and they're saying, wherever we go, whatever we do, we're going to go through it in leather. And, right, and they'd be like us. So this was the beginning of that sort of, we were getting into clone by then. It mm -hmm. was a big opening up of the development of the gay. So looks, you no, know, so that's when we really, when, when coming across this, it was the feminine principle, it was androgynous, it was like this hadn't been done really in this way. Gay sweatshop had done that. There was lots of gay theater and there was lots of black theater, you know, the beginning of that. No, so that was, no, it was a, that was, God, that was amazing. And the other thing is to do it on stage was safer. Mm -hmm. So we had that fourth wall, and even though you sometimes it crossed, because even when we first did the Ugly Duckling in the Tabernacle, the local community center, they were like, oh, fuck off, you know, swearing at us, you know, because they were very rough, and they just saw us as the street people, you know, the street drag queens and things like that. But we put on a whole show together, a bit of tap dancing and everything. Oh, it was fabulous. And that was with the Blue Lips. With the Blue Lips. A fabulous a drag performance group. You can watch a documentary about them on, on YouTube. I think it's available on even. Um, it's wonderful. You, you both participated in what you call radical drag in the Blue Lips. What, what does that mean to you, that term, radical drag? Um, well, um, radical, radical drag really came from gay liberation, really. Mm -hmm. um, and that was because uh, um, I, I and several other people, and then gradually more and more people started getting into drag. Uh, and we saw it as like a, fa a way forward, mm -hmm. as um, uh, uh, putting across the idea that we were pro-feminist men, um, but uh, the rest of the men uh, didn't like it at all. And uh, they were saying, oh, you give homosexuals a bad name and all that kind of thing, you know. Um, uh, but uh, over time, we began to change things in GLF and we became really un influential, which just made people even madder about us, you know. <laughs> they were very unhappy. Um, but uh, we went on to... Um, organize, uh, there was a, a group called the Festival of Light, uh, which was run by Mary Whitehouse and Lord Longford and Malcolm Muggeridge and all these, um, you know, moral leaders of the country, including Cliff Richards. And... Um, <laughs> Stiff pilchards. Yes. And they had this big inaugural meeting in uh, West, uh, Westminster Central Hall. And... Uh, uh, John Chesterman, who was organizing everything uh, with us, uh, managed to slip a, a woman friend of his, he, she managed to persuade them uh, to give her a job as a volunteer in, their, in the office, organizing this whole uh, event, uh, followed by an event in um, a Hyde Park uh, two, two weeks later, um, which started off with a rally in Trafalgar Square. Anyway, um, so we uh, managed to get lots of tickets. Uh, we either, um, 
you know, lots of us uh, dressed in drag underneath and then put clothes on top so we'd look respectable and get in. So that all worked very well. And then when people uh, started uh, mounting the pulpit and um, starting the rally, um, uh, then one, one, we'd all split up into groups and we all knew uh, which group in front of us would be doing such and such an action. So when you saw the action that you recognized, you could then wait till they'd finished and everything had settled down, and then you did yours. So it was like this rolling number that went on throughout uh, the conference. And uh, people released mice at one point, uh, which caused great panic. Um, Same-sex couples stood up and kissed at another point. Um, there was... Uh, the youth, uh, well, what else was there? Uh, there was, uh, oh, the nuns, of course, uh, who filed very solemnly to the front down by the pulpit and turned round and faced the congregation and lifted up their skirts and did a can-can right the way to the end of the aisle. Of course, they were caught by the stewards and turfed out, at which point the youth group in the balcony draped a big white sheet over the balcony with the words, Cliff for Queen, written on it. Ah! Uh, and then uh, another queen cried out from up in the balcony, Lordy, Lordy, I've seen the face of the Lord. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I'm saved, I am saved, glory, hallelujah. And the whole place fell silent. And like for like a minute or something, I, uh, people actually believe that someone in the congregation had been saved. <laughs> and then, the, of course, the doubt started coming Don't in. Don't get any ideas. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so the stewards made a grab for him, but he managed to get all the way down to the balcony at the front and declaimed his hosannas once more before they grabbed him and threw him out. Um, and, uh, then what was your action? Uh, my action, I was with the Ku Klux Klan group, um, so immediately after um, uh, uh, the um, drag queen who'd been saved, um, uh, we sort of s stood up and sort of, you know, uh, raised our right arm and, and started, um, you know, uh, telling them they were really in favor of the, the whole <laughs> movement and uh, this behavior by these people was just disgusting and they should be crucified, <laughs> crucified. Um, of course, when they got that, they knew what was up. So we were turfed out as well. Um, Am I right that you were arrested? Uh, no. Not no, at that event. There was none of, no arrest whatsoever. And the last action was the action group themselves, all the butch guys in GLF, and they managed to get into the uh, switch room in the basement and plunge half the hall into darkness. <laughs> so uh, the headline in The Guardian the next day was uh, Darkness in Our Light. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, uh, uh, the, where I was arrested was uh, two weeks later in uh, Hyde Park. Um, <laughs> they were waiting for us then, you see. <laughs> but, but we'd started off in, um, uh, we'd, we'd changed in shop doorways in Covent Garden to go in to, to make our, and then made our way into Trafalgar Square. 
Um, and uh, it was really, really frightening because it was absolutely packed with people, the whole square overflowing in front of the National Gallery. Uh, there were all the moral leaders on the plinth talking to the people uh, uh, behind the National, you know, in sort of in front of the National Gallery. Um, and the people uh, were right up on the pavement and they were shrieking, you know, sort of, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And their kids were sort of looking at their parents in some kind of terror, what was happening to them, you know, poor things. And our action was just, we, we, we planned to go, uh, sort of go around the square and off to uh, Hyde Park, but we couldn't move. And we slowly sort of cleared away and got as far as the steps of St. Martin's in the fields. And we thought, hey, um, you know, what a good place. So our, our plan then was to sing all things bright and beautiful. And we had a choir, we had a choir mistress, which was me. Um, <laughs> we had uh, some uh, uh, riot policemen and, and other policemen, uh, uh, a few nuns. Um, we had uh, Jesus with a cross <laughs> and a crown of thorns. Um, and so we all lined up and sang all things bright and beautiful. But being GLF, we'd had no rehearsal. And um, it was only discovered at the end of the first verse that no one knew the second. <laughs> so, That's why you were arrested. <laughs> no, <laughs> not for that, unfortunately. Um, well, the police then uh, sort of lined up right across the bottom of the, um, uh, well, across the strand, really, and, uh, and round into the square like that. And this, uh, well, I think it was a superintendent from Scotland Yard, lots of white egg on his peaked cap, and he came up and told us to disperse because you are the angry brigade. And the Angry Brigade were a group of um, uh, anarchist bombers who uh, didn't go around killing people, but used to set off bombs in uh, ministers and industry leaders' houses and things oh. like that. Um, and they also um, set the BBC transmitter van alight at um, the Albert Hall at the time of women's liberation uh, uh, action. Uh, in the Miss World contest. Um, so that really, really shocked us. And then they formed into a wedge and drove a wedge between us. And then uh, people who were on the, uh, st uh, the strand side got arrested as they, uh, by the police. And the police on the other side in which we were grouped, uh, they pushed us right into the square and right up against the sort of crux of uh, between the lions. And uh, we was trapped there, and the only escape was to get up on the plinth, so we did that. Um, and we got up on the plinth, and uh, uh, I, I looked down, and there was the choir still in the square, in their red tissue paper capes and things. And so I lifted my baton, and I conducted them from on the plinth. <laughs> Um, and then uh, the police uh, dragged their, what I described as their lard asses up onto, <laughs> onto the plinth, and, um, 
and tried to arrest us, but they did it wrongly the first time, and we all scampered round uh, the other side of the plinth near to where Mary Whitehouse was speaking at the time. And my role, of course, was the alternative Mary Whitehouse. And so the real one was, you know, one side of the plinth, and, and the drag <laughs> one was on the other side of the plinth. Anyway, they, they arrested uh, Michael, uh, first of all, um, and they, six of them or so surrounded him on the plinth and grabbed him and turned him upside down to begin with. So the first thing we knew was to see his legs and his green and yellow uh, wedgy shoes appearing above the policeman's helmets, which was, you know, and then they bounced him backwards down the steps of the plinth and arrested him at the base of it. Um, the rest of us escaped. Uh, or the few nuns got uh, arrested as well, obviously, because they couldn't move in their drag. <laughs> um, and I'm going on a bit under, but anyway. Um, so we escaped, and a few of us, and we met up, and we decided we'd go to Trafalgar Square, and we went down um, uh, the Mall and up Constitution Hill, and there were all more Christians all the way along, right to Hyde Park, uh, all chanting, all screaming, um, so it was really a relief to get into the park where there was, you know, just sort of nature there because the rally was at the north end by Marble Arch. So we were just walking peacefully across the grass to where we thought um, our, our group would be, GLF would be, and the police uh, swooped on us from behind and uh, uh, grabbed us, thrust our arms up our back, and uh, dragged us towards their van, or, or sort of frog marches, really. Um, and uh, so they took us to Hyde Park Police Station. Um, it was an what was the what was the pretext for the the arrest? What was the charge? Um, oh, I don't know. Disturbing the peace. Right. Um, it was sort of minor charges, really. Mm -hmm. There's nothing serious, except for Nicholas who was the spirit of porn, uh, and Nicholas, who was my flatmate, who um, I got my name from. And um, they kept us in the cells, for, oh, they shoved us all in the cells, and two minutes later, the cops came back into my cell and said, are you wearing a bra? And I thought, oh God, the only time in my life I've ever worn a bra. Yes, take it off. Why? Because you might hang yourself now, get it off. <laughs> I'm mad. Um, and then after about a couple of hours, uh, they told us to come out of our cells, they unlocked them and stand in the corridor. And the corridor went along this corridor to one end and we all lined up there. And then we had to move round to the end of that corridor and back down to about halfway down where there was a, a police sergeant at a desk um, with, uh, a charge sheet and the arresting police officer. So when I got halfway down the corridor, I was opposite the charge uh, sergeant's uh, desk and it was Nicholas who was being charged. And uh, the first I heard was the um, charge sergeant saying to the officer, are you sure you want to arrest him for assault, charge him with assault? And, and, and the officer said, yeah, I do. Um, and uh, so the sergeant really looked at him 
um, and was sort of nodding and saying, uh, are you sure? And he said, yes. So um, the details were wrote down and uh, uh, he was, Nicholas was charged with assault on the police officer, which uh, carries a six month sentence automatically mm. if you're convicted. Um, and the officer explained that he'd grabbed Nicholas's um, arms from behind, um, but um, what he didn't realize was that Nicholas was a, uh, he was a small guy, five foot 11 or something. Um, uh, he locked his arms because he, he trained at the Royal Ballet School at White Lodge. And uh, the policeman didn't expect that from this frail-looking number. Um, and his hands shot down Nicholas's arms and um, uh, cut his little finger on Nicholas's diamante bracelet. <laughs> um, so when it came to Nicholas's trial anyway, the first time he, he, he was a di different court to the rest of us, um, they couldn't, uh, oh, th th they said, oh, uh, we can't proceed with the case today because the policeman concerned is not available. <laughs> so, so then, uh, uh, you know, another month of agony had to go by. And this time when Nicholas got to court for the second time, they said um, uh, uh, that they were apologized to the court, but they couldn't find the paperwork had been lost. So they didn't want that to come out in the newspapers, obviously, because it would have made them look such idiots. Um, so he was lucky. Yeah. Right. Wow, there's a lot, a lot happened. <laughs> 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 um, I want to get back to the drag of it all a little bit. And maybe, Lavinia, you can pick up that other question that I had as well, that, about radical drag. and. We've talked about how that intersects with protest a bit, but what does that mean to you, Radical Dragon? Do you see yourself as a drag queen? Yeah, I'm a drag queen. Um, actor, singer, dancer, drag queen, that really gets me. <laughs> <laughs> Model. Um, especially out of drag. Um, <laughs> where do you do it? <clears throat> Ingenue. Look, so let's get this right. There's, to me, working on stage, you could be quite radical and do some many strong things. You could make a lot of points and you can wear stuff and it's, it's, it's bigger. I often think of it like opera. You know, there's a lot you can do, there's stage and set, so that's a whole other aspect. But the other one is street drag and coming along. I remember we went to San Francisco in 81 and there was queens in the street there and I thought, my God, they've got their slippers on and they're offering me a little newspaper to sit on the sidewalk and to chat. And I thought, this is too much. This is me, you know, curlers and aprons. Whole nother, so there's such a diversity of drag. Mm. So then the other one, okay, is street. Sometimes, hmm, how do you appear? Working in nightclubs is another one. You're in nightclubs. That can be really tricky, because it's a bit like improvising in street theater. It's a bit like street theater. You have to be really alive. Again, it's a bit safe, because you're in a nightclub. So sometimes, sometimes it's murder. Uh, the security are with you, then you're pretty, pretty okay. But again, that's sort of a safe space. But going in the street, getting out the door, get the taxi, run up the thing, dealing with people. So radical drag, well, wow. Do you, do you see it as female impersonation? No. What, how would you define it? 
See, female, we know what female impersonation is. It's the whole character. Occasionally on stage you would do a female, you know, playing a female, playing mm -hmm. a man. You know, these are characters. But um, not really myself, because you're sort of putting across an idea that you're obviously a man. Mm. And you hear all those things. Oh, are you a lady? Okay, I'm getting a cab. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously a man, you know. Um, <laughs> Can't relate. But androgyny. <laughs> Androgyny, uh, that idea. Um, well, what was what they, was they want you to wear tits? No, right. It's feathers. It's how you style yourself. Uh -huh. Is it masculine, feminine? What makes it masculine, mm. feminine? Is it the way I design, put it together? Is it my my character coming out? Is it your makeup? Well, what what makes you? It's it's going from a border in from uh, woman and mixed androgyny going into a whole other realm. There, there's a hell of a lot mm. more of what we can do to wear. It's kind of rejecting the binary, I guess. Well, now, hang on. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, have I, used the, have I used the word? Yeah, this is a long word. That <laughs> well, I, what was the mainstream drag scene like when you started? Because it, the, the term radical drag kind of implies you were counter something that was, you know, in the mainstream. So how, how did you see mainstream drag at the time? Well, mainstream drag at the time uh, was uh, you could see it uh, once every three months and then sometimes once every month there was a, um, a wonderful drag queen called um, oh dear, no, no, Jean Fredericks who was from Toronto, mm -hmm. if you'd like to know. Hmm. And, uh, and he, he's, uh, he played the trombone uh, and very well. Anyway, uh, he had the clever idea of hiring the Porchester Hall mm -hmm. in Bayswater and having drag nights. And uh, I th the first one that I went to, it was in 68 with my boyfriend, and, you know, we went along, uh, and it was a great evening, just sort of, uh, you know, seeing all these drag queens having a bit of a laugh, you know, and all that. Um, and uh, they were very serious about everything, you know, they spent the three months between uh, uh, the nights uh, making their, hand-making their next costume, um, and it was all very formal, and their boyfriends were all in, uh, you know, sort of black jacket and, uh, and tie, um, and, and there was a competition, of course, and a prize, uh, and, and, and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, and then, uh, well, eventually, in the in the mid seventies, I think, a Westminster Council closed uh, a band drag in the Porchester Hall. So uh -huh. that that was the end of that. That was yeah. Uh, but that was the kind of drag that there was then, apart also, from in, in the clubs where there was... Well, that's know, what I was going to say, yeah. you know, the black cap and that kind of yeah. st stylized drag. Yeah, uh, Miss, Mrs. Shufflewick was, you could say, mm. was radical drag in yeah. a way, because she wasn't glamour at all, you know. She was an old Irish biddy with a pint of Guinness <laughs> uh, uh, and all these very funny stories. And a mouth like a sewer. Sorry? 
mouth like a sewer. A mouth like a sewer, mm. yes. That was, no, but so the, the, the thing what for me was that that was what was going on around and sometimes very misogynist and you were, mm. couldn't relate to that. And it, yeah. somebody was very modern in a way. It was 60s, they were doing modernish kind of things. But then le later it was like the punk thing was happening. So that was also a big thing that really made people think, oh, now there's other kinds of drag that you can do. Seeing punk people mm. was like a, a, an eye-opener for me. Mm. And the, the development of drag, yeah, it could go and change. And so you would see drag acts at the time doing caricatures of women. There was a misogynist element to some of it that you were seeing, and maybe that was a little bit of the, the, the counter-drag that you were trying to put forward. Is it a different idea to that? Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, um, I, I even find the word drag queen kind of a bit funny sometimes because I think it starts to play into that exact same binary again. And words like drag artist make more sense to me because I think the whole, the whole point of drag is to challenge that idea of what a man is and what a woman is. And if you see me right now and you get woman, well, I think that's more on you than it is on me because there's actually nothing about me right now that belongs to femininity necessarily. It's just what we've decided, what society has decided belongs to femininity. So um, yeah, I just, this, I think it's amazing that it hasn't really changed in, in all this time. This thing early on, if we called each other queens, it would sometimes it was everyone was a queen. Mm. Everyone that's gay is a queen. I mean, what's your problem? You know what I mean? So it's not a bad word. It no, no. It's androgynous, it's also, but it's also that, that side of the, the revolution is that there are feminine men, and there's another attitude here. Mm -hmm. It's not all stereotyped. No, power, power politics, power yeah. politics. <laughs> well, let's get into the power then, because, I oh. mean, <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel powerful in drag? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No. How does I mean, it make if, you feel? If you're going to wear something different, you're going to be noticed. So you've got to rise up to it. You've got a kind of a mask. As you go along, you get better at it because you've dealt with situations. Yes, stage really helps you. No, drag, oh gosh. You have a mask. It's very obvious to people now how to play it, how to be careful, how to get away with it, how to move somewhere else. Hmm. Uh, let's go back on history, when you think of all the way through um, the, the, the first drag kings and drag queens in, in vaudeville and musical. Why is that principle so difficult? Why was it so, it still goes on? We're, we're, we're being drag queens. How much drag kings are there? And why is it that we can't wear dresses? Mm -hmm. Still, the men have not got, we cannot break this down. We're really stuck in a, a stylized male, female, you know, we've got mm -hmm. the 40s, We've got the suits. Mm. I think it's interesting as well that you, for me personally, I can feel so powerful in drag in certain settings, and then you put me half a block away, just drop me on my own dressed like this, and I would suddenly feel, you know, that power is completely gone. And yeah, you're very vulnerable. And um, I think that's what, you know, the more drag has gotten so mainstream, it's more mainstream than it's ever been, but until I can walk down the street like this and no one bats an eye, I think there's always going to be more work to be done in, in breaking down those binaries and those, those boundaries. I mean, do you, you talked about street drag before. Is that something that you've done? Well, getting, getting out of the cab and getting... <laughs> yeah. 
No, walking, no, doing, no, if you do festivals, sometimes there's places, but yeah, the other one is the theatrical side can come into it for some, but it's not as if you're always out there with them um, dealing with that drag thing. No, no, sometimes I like to drop it all, and that's your issue. I'm having a good time mm -hmm. here. Don't want to get into it. Mm -hmm. What you're about is oh, people come and uh, focus on you and want to touch you to see if you've got a beard. And go, oh, oh, God, yeah. Lots of stuff. <laughs> Grab your ass. <laughs> How did you feel? Did you feel powerful when you were in, in Mary Whitehouse drag? Did, um, was that a powerful moment, or was it exposing, vulnerable, getting arrested? How did, I mean, what was that like? Um, well, I, yes, I mean, uh, the first time at Bow Street, uh, I, I sensed the power of drag then uh, very much. And, um, uh, and so I was very interested in that. Um, and uh, as I say, uh, I, I began to, well, I began to meet uh, in the course of that year in 71, uh, other queens who were thinking like me, who also had a bit of drag experience or others that hadn't that were interested. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were also uh, really interested in uh, the women's uh, liberation movement and the women in GLF who were connected with that and one could see very clearly, at least I thought so, uh, well, we all thought so, that the, uh, the women's liberation movement and what they were saying about men was really sort of spot on. And the women then in GLF started complaining about the men being such misogynists and so sexist. And uh, that was really our cue to sort of start looking at ourselves mm. and uh, figuring out where we were sexist and where we were misogynist and, and uh, uh, you know, in the way we behave towards women and what we thought about women and so on. And uh, uh, as, as time went on, we all started getting into drag and then sort of more or less living full time in drag. So we were on the street, we were like drag queens. Uh, we. Uh, formed a commune in the end. It seemed the easiest thing to do uh, and the best thing to do because uh, some of us had been uh, thrown out of their uh, flats and mm -hmm. bedsits for, by the landlords for being drag queens. Uh, and then they were stuck with where they were going to live. So the solution was to squat empty houses and there were lots of them in Notting Hill at that time and, um, and all live together. So that's... Uh, uh, what we did, and then we were living in drag all the time. All the time? All the time. It, uh, it yes. I, it makes I, my back I, hurt just I thinking think it about was, it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, um, you know, you would uh, sometimes uh, in the commune, it'd be really lovely, and you, you'd wake up in the morning, and there would be somebody uh, who just sort of handed you a joint as you woke up, you know, so. <laughs> You, you would have a bit of that spliff, and then you think, well, what am I going to wear? And you go into the wardrobe, and our wardrobe <laughs> was uh, huge, because it was all our drag on one side and all our male drag on the other side. And we had A ladders, so you could go up, because they were all suspended higher and higher and higher. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you go rooting around, you thought you planned it all out, and then um, you couldn't find what you were looking for. 
and then someone will give you a, a pass up a split, <laughs> and you, uh, th uh, then you get totally confused and have to start again. And, and so, you know, you, it, you, it, it was, could be 10 o'clock in the morning before you got into the kitchen <laughs> to have your breakfast. Were you working at this point? Uh, yes, we, we, we were. We had uh, stalls on a stall on Portobello Road mm. on Friday and Saturday. Um, uh, we went down to um, Maidstone in Kent, which had a, f a fabulous market and things were very cheap there. So there's wonderful stuff we could buy. It was a time when people were turfing out their attics uh, prior to moving into um, tower blocks and things like that. And so all these Art Deco things that they bought on their holidays at the seaside uh, and had around until after the war when they they were, went out of fashion and they hadn't thrown them out, they put them in the attics and stuff. So all this gear was coming out. Um, so we'd make lots of bargains there and then on Friday and Saturday we'd be up on Goldborn Road um, and it's, you know, six o'clock in the morning and the vans start arriving and they turf out all these black plastic bags and everybody pounces on them and, and you grab what you can. And if we liked the frocks, uh, you know, if they were really quality stuff, we'd keep them and the others we'd sell on the stall uh, for a few quid more further down in Portobello Road. Um, um, and would, you'd be at the stall in, in drag? All Sorry? four of you. The four of you, just four drag queens at a stall. Uh, yes, well, there was, there was uh, uh, 12 men and two women and two uh, children living in our commune. Wow. Uh, not everybody worked the stalls, but uh, Betty and I did regular, and, uh, and the others joined in. Um, I think Lavinia uh, told me that you used to go to work as an accountant in drag as well. That was afterwards, when I was trying to get back into the system again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, how did that work out? Um, oh, that worked out fine, yes. <laughs> I, I just finished about the commune, so um, on, on, uh, on Saturday, Saturday evening, we closed the commune, had it just for ourselves, and so then we'd sort of uh, change into this gear that we'd bought that morning and, and liked and put on our makeup and we all looked incredibly glam and wonderful and uh, then we dropped a tab of acid and all we spent <laughs> Saturday nights like that, tripping out of our boxes. It was wonderful. Can't relate. <laughs> Um, Lavinia, I wanted to, sorry. Uh, no, no, you go on. Okay. Lavinia, I wanted to ask you about um, drag going mainstream and your thoughts on that. Um, this is another story. I mean, drag comes and goes in waves. Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's the, the latest gay play gets an award and 10 years <laughs> later they get another latest gay play. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I've seen phases of where it's, mm. it's really popular. I remember going to New York at 1890s and my friend saying, oh, it was so popular here. And you go, oh, that's a phase in New York. And then slowly but surely, oh, it comes back up again. You get RuPaul, mm -hmm. the whole development of RuPaul. 
Um, and yes, sometimes in the clubs, the same thing. It would, it would diminish completely. There'd be, there'd be no one dressing up in the club. You think, what, what are they, college kids? They're not interested in anything? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's the clone thing again. Sometimes yeah. I sometimes feel it's okay to be safe and dress casual and be, you know, what your normalization, normal, out of the uniform, in the uniform. You know, you have to sometimes... No, you can't be doing the drag all the time, and sometimes it's too intense. Anything, any mark, I get, oh, no, you just want to be part of everything else as well. What did you ask? <laughs> <laughs> mm. What was it? It was something about... Uh, well, mainstream, I guess... Mainstream, no, mainstream. Yeah, yeah and mainstream. Do, you think, do you think there's still political power, or do you think the political power of drag gets diminished as, yeah, as, as things go more mainstream? You know, when you go back to the history of the marches, um, when men would dress up in, 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 in a, a woman's dress, it was completely wrong. Hmm. And so it was a real kick in the face of the, the establishment. Mm -hmm. You know, show your bum is the same sort of thing. It's like... No, so in many ways, drag has been really strong at ch changing things. Hmm. Well, you can definitely see, you know, you just go to Dalston on, a, on any day of the week and you'll see people dressed in a non-gender non-conforming way. Um, and I, I, my perception of it is that people don't bat an eye anymore, but that's a London-centric perspective. Yeah. I'm sure you still yeah. go outside of London and that would be absolutely shocking. So I'm sh I think there is still a lot of ground to be broken um, it's you interesting what you see on the internet. So that's where the, the market's opened up. Mm -hmm. You go, oh, there must be uh, goths and romantics in different, there's different scenes. So it's, it's more in, in, inclusive in that way. At least you can see what's going on. So what's happening with RuPaul, those 13 and 14 year old young girl teenagers are seeing something, they go, oh wow, this is amazing, which is great. And so do everyone else, it's great fun. It's interesting. I don't like the competition. I don't mm. like the uh, 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 showing gays, whatever we are, as um, you know, argumentative and nasty and competitive, mm -hmm. which is a load of yeah. There's a bit of that, but <laughs> uh, you you worked with RuPaul, didn't you? Before long before any of this, you told me that you went um, on tour. Yes, yeah, Suzanne Bash did a party in, in it was amazing, in, uh, was in uh, where was it, Japan. And I thought, oh my God, 10 days we did, and Rue was, the f before he'd done his record, and Joey Aries and Madame Katrina Sobinskaya, she did the whole ballerina bit, unbelievable, six foot man, total, oh, fabulous, no, it was great little. No, Rue was good, no, he was singing that song, no, it was the same, really fabulous. No, and Rue was in that beginning, it's build, him building, mm -hmm. building that up by Lady Bunny. Oh, many people, Wigstock, all that. That mm. was amazing. A whole, a lot of years there in New York, and, and I'd never done clubs, but clubs was really a whole other ball game. But it was a way of making a little bit of money and work. I mean, it's, it makes a change from cleaning. You know, I'm a, I'm a pro <laughs> cleaner. Uh, but I've done every job under the table, if you know what I mean. I've done everything. <laughs> So there's work. If you want to work at this thing, it's the same as being an actor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's you've got to do anything. Well, luckily, luckily things worked out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Rue is definitely someone who understands the power in drag and maybe has lost a bit of the political over, over time. I don't know, how, how do you see that? Have, do you watch, have you watched Drag Race 
at all, I Stuart? I have, yes. Yeah, do you see anything political in it? Um, well, yes, um, uh, very much so, um, especially with what we're facing at the moment uh, with all, I think, and it's a sign of the times. I think, you know, uh, that we gay people in the uh, 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, we were still, um, uh, if you like, uh, 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 pushing forward the culture mm. and the politics of, of GLF. And it was still, there was an element of uh, 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 sort of a revolutionary element about it. Uh, but nowadays, uh, you know, the, the young ones of the, um, well, say, of uh, this present centuries from the noughties and, and, and the teens, um, uh, they are all assimilationist and they're, they're pushing back against this, very much so. And uh, they're joining that organization, the Lesbian, Gay, uh, Bisexual uh, Alliance, oh. um, who are uh, creating hell for uh, transsexuals. Um, and, you know, GLF, we were fighting for um, a time when uh, being gay wouldn't mean anything mm -hmm. uh, and uh, being transsexual wouldn't mean anything. Um, and there was going to be no sort of classification of people because of their sexuality. It was going to be all accepted as, mm -hmm. as part of uh, uh, the beauty of humanity. Um, but now um, it's 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 go, it's very much going the other way, and uh, these silly people are putting themselves in the hands of Christian fundamentalists and doing the uh, doing the work of the Christian fundamentalists and dividing our community uh, with their hatred. Um, I'm not convinced there's any actual gay people in the GLF. Sorry. And <laughs> so not the GLF. Sorry, the G the GLA the GLA. The uh, GLB, what are they called? L G LGB. I'm not convinced there's any actual gay people in there. I think it's just far-right oh. fundamentalists trolling well, us all. Well, that's what I thought to begin with, but there are, I'm right. afraid. And there's even uh, a man called Don Milligan, who uh, was at uh, Lancaster University at the time of GLF in 1971, uh, a rabid international socialist who was finally thrown out of the party because like all these left-wing uh, sort of groups, including the Labour Party and the unions, um, the, the hierarchy um, sit on top of them and won't let them discuss uh, gay issues or sexuality. And Don Milligan was thrown out of the International Socialist because it was run by this very um, um, power-hungry, um, selfish uh, man uh, who would not allow anyone who was gay in the International Socialist express anything about uh, the politics of sexuality. Uh, and he um, was, uh, and he's now part of the uh, Lesbian, uh, Gay, Bisexual Alliance. Um, and he's, he's very much a misogynist as mm. well.
it's such a classic example of pulling up the ladder behind you as soon as you get some of the rights that you're lo looking after, mm. looking for, that you just pull it up behind you and leave, leave behind the most marginalized communities. It's very disappointing. I think identity is something that you just touched on. Um, the, the focus on identity can be so useful because it can really help people express exactly who they are and how they feel inside, but the more specific we get with our identity sometimes, I also think we limit ourselves and we potentially make ourselves more vulnerable because we can be segregated into smaller and smaller groups and cut off from each other and it becomes easier and easier to do that. So I think that's the real challenge that we face right now is figuring out how to hold a, a really strong individual identity while still maintaining part of a larger community in action. I don't know, how does that sit with you? <laughs> no, it's a, a very uh, interesting topic, talking about this. There's, there's, a, there's a hell of a lot. I'd sooner have discussion and open debate and really work through this. This is, uh, it's come up for me in the last two or three years working with the sexual avengers it was a group of people for six months and it was quite amazing because it opened me up to a lot of i've worked with a lot of trans people and so coming across this the use of language and hmm, no this is a, a small group of people that i really love and adore so i'm still finding out my way i don't understand everything and i'm I can see a hell of a lot of hurtful, oppressive things that have mm. happened to people, very similar to gay people too. Over, but anyway, I can't really talk about it. I haven't got, you know, I've not got the mm -hmm. information. Or the, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of issues here. Mm. Well, difficult. let's move on then. Looking forward, and yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, what do you both see as the future of drag, and what's its place? What does it look like? <laughs> You've seen a lot of drag come and go, so... It, yeah, it, it does, uh, and, and if it suits the purpose, great. Um, and uh, I think it always will, in a way, um, until uh, there's, uh, you know, until there's no um, stigma uh, about sexuality, um, then drags are always going to play a part, because it uh, confuses um, the gender roles and everything, and um, and challenges people, um, and uh, certainly people at the moment need challenging a lot. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that are trying to put down, uh, you know, trans people, and so on. So I think uh, drags um, will always be with us. Really, um, it's it's even you know. Um, it's even f folkloric in, in different cultures. Um, I, I know, for instance, in the Canary Islands, um, that all uh, the married men in the Canary Islands, when they're doing the ceremony of the sardine uh, on the seashore, which they've been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years, all the men dress it as women for that uh, event. Um, and it, I think it has a place there. It releases something inside them uh, that they're happy to um, play with for that day, and although they only play for, 
with it for that day. It, it must, it's there in their heads. Um, so there's all sorts of aspects to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's the thing, um, sometimes I think, when you think about the future of drag, I don't know, because, okay, it's developed. You could look at RuPaul, but you could look at lots of stuff like, oh, science fiction. There's so much an area here, and that's what I mean when I talk about opera. I think it, there's, there's a lot more in this that can be. So then I go, oh, this is cosy. How far? When, when we'll be liberated when we can walk down the street and nobody will diss you for whatever you're wearing, whether mm. it's good or bad, whether it's ugly, whether it's poor, whether it's casual. No, we, we look at people, we check people out the way they look and everything. Now, it'd be great to be liberated that you could really feel like a million dollars. You'd really dress up sometimes and other times you still feel like a million dollars and in your casuals. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, there's, there's a long way to go with drag. The other one was uh, dealing with children and working with people that are growing up going, oh, don't get confused about people. They're mucking around with stuff. They're kids, let them play. Give them the chance to play around with mm -hmm. this stuff. It's not just crayons, it's everything else. Yeah, I think, well, to go on to the children point of it, there's so much, I mean, I'm sure you all agree that so much gender is learned, and and the freedom that you get from playing outside of your gender, um, or the, the societal roles of your gender, is incredibly liberating, and it's something that's very powerful, and it can unlock something really, really special. Um, so if any of you haven't ever tried it, I encourage you to play with your gender, because it's it's really, really exciting, and you, you don't really know what's lurking inside you, or what beast is gonna come out. Um, and you know, if you're not careful, things will snowball. And look at the three of us up here, <laughs> playing roles. Yeah, playing indeed. Different roles. Because sometimes I see different roles. You've got a look tonight that's completely different to another look. You know, and it's quite fierce. And, oh, that's a role, and oh, it gives me all this flavour and character. And oh yeah, yeah, she's the real schnoz. <laughs> oh, she's a mess. That is a mess. Well, I looked. I wanted to look like a mess. Yeah. Didn't need any trouble, just get away from me, I'm a mess. <laughs> Is there anything else about power, politics, or drag that you guys would like to touch on before we move over to some audience questions? <laughs> <laughs> She's good. She's had it. <laughs> Lavinia? Any closing remarks? About power, drag, oh, and politics. <laughs> wow, no, this is uh, mm. mumble, 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 mumble. Fabulous. Mm. Ribbit, ribbit. <laughs> well, thank ribbit, you both for sharing ribbit. your stories. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love to open it up for some questions if there are any in the room. Dan is going to go around with a microphone, perhaps. Um, Anything at all, it's all open for myself or, or the two panelists. Hi, thanks, uh, very interesting. I've got a question on this idea about being liberated when you can walk down the street and no one's going to blast an eyelid at whatever you're wearing. It, do you see that as a goal? Is that something that you want? Or will then all the power in drag be gone? Hmm. 
the last bit I said was, is it a goal to want to be able to walk down the street and wear whatever you want and not have anyone bat an eyelid? Is, is that a goal or will that mean the power of drag is gone? Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, I'll say that again. I, I, I mean, it could indicate that the power of drag has gone. Yes. Uh, is it a goal? Um, uh, uh, well, I, I, I'm more interested in, in, in the idea of sexuality being non-controversial and, uh, and, and fully accepted and no prejudice about it. Um, that's uh, what uh, GNF and individuals that were in it have been working to, uh, thinking about and working towards for the last 50 years. Um, so it could spell the end of drag, but um, well, that, I mean, it'd be great in that case because drag would have served its purpose, mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, uh, to confuse people about gender and make them think. Um, yes. I think it would spell the end of um, stigma around cross-dressing and perhaps symbol, uh, signal a change in the way that we view gender and the binaries, but there's always gonna be a place for performance and definitely live performance on stage. And I think so much of drag is about that, about the character that you can create on stage, the magic that you create when you've got lights and sound and costume and a character. And um, there's always gonna be a place for that. We're always gonna wanna see people tell stories on stage in whatever form, whether it's through song or dance or lip sync or um, I don't know pouring a bottle of champagne up your butt. You know, <laughs> you know, there's always a place for that kind of subversive, radical, expressive art. And um, I don't think that's ever gonna go away, no matter how people view you on the street. How do you feel, Lavinia? Is there any more questions? Any more questions? I mean, is that answered? Mm. Let's have another one. Hi. Um, I have a rather tricky question, I feel, um, because I'm wondering about the commercialization of drag mm. in a kind of modern world. So I kind of take an issue ever so slightly with uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, because I feel it's very competitive, it's very mainstream. And I think the... the, the Get out. <laughs> Burn me on the stake, I don't care. Um, I'll say. Um, because there's something, something about, you know, it's only something that you hear on a grapevine about, you know, uh, the contracts, the very restrictive contracts of World of Wonder, which kind of border on very restrictive kind of elements of like how much things you can do and how much things you cannot do, which kind of stop people from engaging some some elements of activism, it makes me feel. So, and it's also like on a, on a kind of different element of that kind of commercialization, it kind of packages it in cishet appropriate kind of glamour and also... I'm a, sorry, I'm losing a bit to your mask, I think. Oh, um, sorry. Yeah, um, give me your best enunciation through that. I shall try. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've got a Polish accent as well, so you know. Um, so there's something about the fact that it's kind of getting very packaged as, a, as this kind of acceptable format, mm. uh, which I think is also like flattening it ever so slightly. Mm. Um, and it's not inclusive of this kind of alternative drug, is it really, if you want to kind of look across the, mm. uh, across the spectrum uh, of the drug as a whole. So, so the question is, <laughs> uh, commercialization of drug, back to the panel. Mm. Commercialization of drag. Um, 
Yeah, it's a really, really valid criticism. I think it's definitely something that I've struggled with constantly is that need to make money and earn a living and the pleasure I get from earning a living doing something that I really enjoy versus taking money from big corporations and selling, essentially selling out. And like, what is selling out as a, as a queer person and, and how much responsibility do I have to hold myself to a really high standard with all of that versus how much responsibility do I have for myself personally to, you know, be able to eat and pay my rent. It's a really, it's a really tricky thing. And um, certainly the second you get on TV, you've already, you've already sold out to a degree. You're, you're, you are selling yourself. I, it's something I struggle with constantly and I, uh, I make different decisions about it every day based on how much I need the money to be honest with you. But it's really fabulous to be able to use that platform to also have conversations like this and talk to people in really frank ways. Um, I don't think that the world of wonder contract is particularly onerous. Um, they, they definitely hold you back from doing certain things, but that isn't the, the biggest sellout that happens after you get on Drag Race. You know, I, t I did an ad for a, uh, a betting company. I mean, that's pretty grim. <laughs> but it paid really well. Um, and I don't know how much, I, I don't have an answer to any of that, basically, but I, it's something that I think about constantly. Um, I, was think, I was thinking, like, um, it's true. When you say the alternative, there's always been an alternative, and we've always, I've always thought of alternative theater, and you're going back way to the 80s and whenever that started. But in New York, it would be off-off Broadway, so there's the odd where is the other thing that isn't this so commercial? But the other idea was also to do with gay and business. This is a gay business, I'm this personality. So sometimes, yes, I am making money, I'm working in a bar mitzvah or a, 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 a bat mitzvah, or I'm working in areas that are sort of like, you know, it's, it's a business. They want a drag queen, they get one. They're paying for it, I'm, it's worth 200 pounds a minute. But there you go. So then I go, okay, but how much are you now? Ah, are you, do you ever do anything, put anything back into your drag? Do you make a show? Do you sometimes say something political, do a little bit of a shtick here, get a solo together? You know, sometimes do something like, oh, on the, you know. So the other side, after doing the bar mitzvah, you might go to the bar and everyone else will see your drag. At least you're giving it more to someone else. Like, yeah, it's a hard one, that, that line, the borderline between commercial, going with the fashion and the trend, finding your own David Hoyle area. <laughs> it's also, I think, there's so few careers in this world that I think any of us can say are ethical. Um, and I see a lot of people nodding. I mean, how many people here feel like their job is helping the world in some way? So we've, like, maybe maybe one-tenth of the people here, um, we all make ethical choices. <laughs> yeah, Kate, you can have it too. Yeah, well, go on, Kate. Um, we all make those sacrifices, those toss-ups constantly, and we're all, you know, there's no, there's no such thing as ethical capitalism. We're all kind of slaves to that system. So I think as long as we can find ways within that system to also promote the things that we believe in, that we're doing the best that we can.
Oh, okay. All right. I'll take that. One, two, three. Great. Uh, well, now I want to see the panel on bar mitzvah drag, because that sounds interesting. But um, I wanted to, it's sort of branching off from the previous question. I wanted to ask uh, whether you think drag competitions are antithetical to the ethos of drag as expressed on stage. I thought there was an interesting contrast between a drag commune where I'm assuming people weren't banished from the commune if they were looking messy one day. Um, and, you know, versus a competition where you have lots of marginalized people forced into a cutthroat competition in a fishbowl. And, you know, even in the drag ball scene, there was a competitive aspect, but you had people helping each other. No one was banished from the drag ball scene for looking messy one week, to my knowledge. So do you think the competition, drag competitions, are antithetical to the ethos of radical drag? Yes. <laughs> Is the short answer yes, I think so. Uh, antithetical, um, yes. Um, because uh, radical drag or, well, you see, um, uh, in the con in, in GLF, um, uh, the pro-feminist men like me were eventually labelled by the Maoists, I might add, as <laughs> radical feminists. Um, now, the radical feminists were uh, really uh, the women, and in GLF they were ma mainly working-class women. And they went, they too went on to form uh, a commune or several communes. Um, uh, we uh, men di didn't like the idea of radical drag, uh, of uh, radical uh, femmes. Uh, and we said, well, we like radical, that's okay. Um, but femmes, no, we're radical queens. So that's where that came from and radical queens wore radical drag. Okay, um, the uh, Maoists had tried rad, uh, radical feminism for themselves and, uh, and then uh, denounced it and went back to their uh, Marxist-Leninist um, Maoist ideas or ideology. Uh, so, uh, and with an eye to the future, as they always had, being very wise, clever politicians, uh, they dumped the, the label on us um, as a way of uh, pointing out to any historians who came along later that the radical uh, femmes in, in GLF had been the drag queens. Um, and uh, so, uh, we uh, sort of, but radical uh, femmes uh, was just too wonderful a phrase for the men in GLF, um, and they loved it, because it just typified us uh, for them. Uh, and out of, uh, as I say, out of radical feminism became ra radical drag. But radical drag really is about men wearing frocks, not pretending to be women, 
not imitating women, um, but just being very clearly men in frocks, and they could be seen from the other side of the road as homosexuals. It was declaring, you are a homosexual. Uh, I mean, it, when you joined GLF and you came out, you, wore, you bought a badge, and the badge said the Gay Liberation Front. And, uh, 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 you know, if you're on the tube or on the bus, something like that, someone may say to you, well, um, uh, what is the Gay Liberation Front? So then you were sort of saying, well, we're, we're a group of homosexuals and lesbians, and we've come together to fight for our rights and blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas uh, when you're a man in, in drag, uh, in, if you like, in radical drag, then it's immediately down to the short and curlies, is how I describe it. You know, it's, hey man, why are you wearing women's clothes, you know? And uh, you have to say in return, well, why are you not wearing women's clothes? <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and that's the way it goes. They feel personally kind of, they're personally affected, they're personally insulted. Uh, they're personally offended uh, by your presence. Um, and uh, so you've got to make those guys think, uh, or you've got, to, uh, you've got to talk about, you know, your drag and what I you think believe in. To tie it back to your question, I think the idea of a competition in, in that space is it's kind of a luxury. And it, in some ways, yes, it's completely antithetical to everything that Stuart's talking about and the scene that Stuart comes from. And, um, but it also shows how far we've come that we can afford to be a little bit silly and we can afford to have spaces where we are in competition. I don't think Drag Race represents the drag community or the drag scene. It's a slice of it and it's great TV and it's very entertaining. But um, I mean, it definitely has trickle down. There's, it does lead to a sense of think of competition throughout, throughout the drag community, but it also shows, I think, um, how much freedom we have because we can afford to be a little bit frivolous. I don't know. Does that, does that work for you as an answer? Does that work for you as an answer? Yeah, I, I, must, I must say that I do f f find um, um, the, the drag race uh, uh, very um, difficult, really. Uh, personally, I, I hate the competition aspect of mm. it. It's so typical of capitalism. Mm. Um, and I hate the bitchiness of it. Um, and it kind of does represent a stereotype of the 1950s uh, before things changed. Uh, and we have, in a way, got past that and beyond it. Um, and uh, I don't find it, uh, and I just think, oh, um, <laughs> as people thought about us, we were, you know, sort of letting the side down. Uh, and I kind of feel, in a way, that, that they're letting the side down too. Uh, but because they are, in a way, they're, they're sort of pandering to this uh, image uh, that people have of, of, um, of men in drag. And, uh, uh, and there's obviously a big market for it, otherwise it wouldn't be on television. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I think it's also uh, an aspect of the assimilation uh, uh, that uh, gay people have entered into with homosexuals. Mm.
Oh. Yes. It's a very good conversation. It's a very good conversation. Um, I'm educated by it. Um, and I've read up on the history of sexuality and gender, and for the majority of human history, uh, the idea that the sexual sexuality is a, a, a separate entities is a relatively new concept that comes with through the Enlightenment. And the irony that when you look back at your ancient European history, there is there there is no uh, there is no idea of heterosexualism or homosexuality. It's just not a word that appears in their the way they live their lives. Um, also, during the pre-colonial uh, periods in Africa and Asia, there's also a culture where this idea of homosexuality or heterosexuality doesn't exist. It's part of the idea of sexuality as a dual or, or interpersonal, inter-self type of existence. Mm -hmm. um, do you view sexuality as a spectrum? Or do you feel that as a human society in the 21st century, we've relied too much on compartmentalism? I think this goes back to what I was saying before about the power of labels, but also the limiting nature of them. And that's why I like the word queer, because it opens up a world of possibilities. And um, it feels limitless to me. And it feels like it gives me space to grow and change um, as, I gr as I grow and change. I'm not limited by a specific understanding of a specific word. I've got flexibility within that. And I, th I think my ideal world is a world where we all live in an in a unlimited capacity, um, which is why I like the word queer. And yes, I do find words like gay kind of limiting these days. Yes, I, I think you're right that, uh, I mean, well, especially in Euro European, I think it's generally accepted in Europe that uh, we're very compartmentalized kind of people in a very compartmentalized um, class structure. And that reflects our society and, and what uh, we consider to be the norm. And, and uh, yes, and other races and other uh, have found uh, other ways of incorporating uh, differences in sexuality, like the bear dash in the uh, in uh, among the Native Americans uh, and the shamans, and uh, also in African cultures too. It come it comes through, uh, and. Uh, And there's also, um, you know, oh, and 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 in India with the um, with the hijab, uh, who uh, are despised uh, as people, but uh, nobody would dream of having a wedding without inviting them to the ceremony, uh, it, and so um, that's 
maybe the, the Hindu way of uh, sort of incorporating uh, 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 the hijar into society, at least they have a role in it. Um, so, uh, so I think it's all kind of um, uh, recognized uh, in those cultures and accepted, uh, apart from perhaps the Indian, but then they're, uh, they're living under a, a caste system of that's, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of years old, really. Uh, Thank you. Hi, um, so we talked a lot about uh, drag queens and the history of drag queens, and like, it was really interesting, I love the talk. Um, however, like, I was just wondering where like, drag kings fit into it, and when like, drag kings may be integrated into mainstream like drag queens have. Mm. I see that, it's true when you look back at um, yeah. Vesta Tilly and Victorian, you can see the drag king there, and then in the culture at the time, it wasn't common. You know, it was a real extraordinary thing to see this man on stage, and then they realized, oh, it's a woman, you know. So as it went along, I can see it as a, as a clown thing too, but as we go along, I often think, because of the way men control the whole fashion and how you should behave and you, what you wear, as we've gone along, bit by bit, women have worn an, a nice suit with a skirt. You can see the Victorians, and as you go along, you go, ah, oh, now, women, my mum wore pants. That was unbelievable. She actually wore pants. <laughs> so it's that thing. So the culture's going that way, so it's the other way, what I've said before. But slowly, sometimes, the, having seen drag kings, Murray, I can't remember, never mind. There's different drag kings, you go, ah, oh, is there that impetus? Yes, there is. There's, there's a lot more there. It hasn't got the commercial push, it hasn't got the ability. You know what I mean? There's, there's culturally, I wonder. Now, I don't know about drag kings. I miss seeing some of them. Sometimes there's a phase. It's amazing that the, the, the glory do drag, the whole, that whole drag king thing. Go, no, and unless you've got a space for women and lesbians to do that, then they can start experimenting. If they've got more spaces that are uh, up the pub, you've got more drag, you know, so, yeah. So were there um, any kings in the GLF? Uh, no, no, they yeah. weren't. Um, uh, and I don't know quite why that was, uh, but then, uh, uh, what was I th thinking of? The writer, um, The Well of Loneliness. Um, um, I mean, uh, her, her lover um, was, all, was kind of always wearing drag. Well, they both were. Uh, in a way, um, and uh, I don't know, maybe the, because I think probably it was a class thing really, because they were well off and uh, they, they could afford uh, to do it, and, uh, and uh, uh, th their class might have been more tolerant about it than um, uh, others in society. Uh, but I, d I don't know uh, the answer to why there aren't mm. more uh, drag kings. 
uh, maybe they'll come along. Yeah, it's, it, it's definitely the next frontier. Um, and there's definitely a huge appetite for it, and I think there's a huge space for it, um, but or a huge market for it, rather, and we need to make space for it. And certainly, um, as people who produce shows, curate shows, participate in, in media, it's something that I'm constantly trying to advocate for, because we do just need more kings, and I think the more space we give to kings, the more amazing kings will come about and we all need a place to play and express and that's why it's, it is so wonderful that places like the glory do competitions like man up but um i think it, it comes down to misogyny at the end of the day um and that's a sad sad fact i can squeeze two more in as long as they're small so um we'll go one and two and jeffrey you'll be closing this you'll be closing the show girl <laughs> hello um, we are kind of in an intersection where women, uh, women and lesbians think that, or at least it's kind of perceived that their attention has to be on their causes first before it actually comes to the other marginalized groups. So how do we approach that going forward? Because if you see the rise of TERFs over the past couple of years and the people who are J.K. Rowling and all these examples which come up, it's like instead of holding our hands together and then fighting together, they're saying that, no, this is our space. You're actually kind of encroaching into our space. So how easy do you think that's going to be for us to navigate going forward? How to solve a problem like a turf? Is that the question? <laughs> um, Oh. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I, I hope that turfism is less of a real issue in the real world than it is on Twitter. And I think that that's the case. I don't think there are nearly as many turfs out there as Twitter would have us believe. And I think um, anyone who's ever met a trans Hope I mean anyone I know who's ever met a trans person has had any turfness dissolved within them. So we just need to be visible as much as we can. I mean I'm not a trans person. I'm not from trans experience, so I don't know the answers to these questions. But um, I think visibility is the key. Got anything for that? How do how do we fix turfs? Well, we just have to struggle against them. Um, you know wherever they are. Uh, it's like the LGB alliance, um, you know, th that, that's the kind of thing they support. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, we, if we support the trans movement um, and show solidarity with them, I think uh, that's uh, one of the best things we can do, the most practical things mm -hmm. we can do. And... Uh, uh, to go out with them and march with them and demonstrate with them. Protest. Protest, yes, exactly. <laughs> Last question. <laughs> I think that's a bit complicated. Hold on. Uh -oh. Turn there. Um, it's, it's more about like the sexual empowerment that we're all struggling with as human beings, and especially women will know this from the beginning because they're constantly sexualized. And the sexualized 
play that goes within dressing up, which you do as a child, because, I mean, when I saw uh, you people do um, The Ugly Duckling, it, the play and the joy and the liberation of dressing and the empowerment of that really affected me, and um, I was so empowered by that. Um, and then this world that we live in, which is a very reflected, um, hyper, um, like, uh, commodified internet world, where you're constantly trying, kind of validating the uh, surface, whoever you are, and, um, and, and drag and imagery can also always be seen as a surface. But underneath that, there's an extreme sexualized and also personal sexual journey that each person is, is going through. And I've definitely seen this online, and I've been part of the f recently finding out how people have sex online. And it's, it's kind of really complex because there's this whole new almost language that goes online to do with predominantly people who are, who are saying they're straight, but they're seeking out trans and CD and all this sort of stuff, and, and it's a sexual in encounter. But I've met people in this world, I, I do it, and it's really interesting, the, the, the language and the sexualized, sexual journey that all these different people are on, which seems to have a space in today's world. I'm not saying it's a kind of clear-cut, um, necessarily, always on the right track, good space, but it's, it's, it's definitely out there and people are questioning their own, own sexuality a lot more within the straight, straighter identified communities. So my question is more about your own personal sense of journey within your own empowerment in, 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 in sexualization. Because <laughs> it's a sexual image. Everyone has yeah. a sexual image. Sex is in everything. It's not, I mean, you know, you're born sexual. Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of a little bit what I'm saying. And just slightly to deter from that, because Lavinia, I've known for ages, so I, I saw the Blue Lips growth path and then us in the 80s, in 80s and 90s in New York, which is like your, you know, there was a more performance element that you were already doing within the clubs and, and stuff like that, which was an, another form of empowerment. And I wondered how those two different things felt. Hmm. Well, for me, there's no, um, sexual gratification that I get from drag. Um, it isn't about, it isn't really about my sexuality at all. It's about creative expression, creating a character, finding strength within that character, finding power within that. And there is a sexualizedness to it, but um, it's interesting. I, yeah, I, I do find that challenging how to reconcile the fact that my character can be present as quite sexual, but I'm not actually finding it sexual, if that makes sense. Um, but there is, I think there's a power in appearing sexually confident, and I think that's what I like about it, um, because it gives me license to behave in a way that I couldn't otherwise, because I am presenting as a sexually liberated person, even if it isn't my sexuality. It's very complicated. <laughs> I should probably talk to my therapist about it all. <laughs> no, but sometimes like uh, wearing drag, yeah, it's, uh, it's getting into the transvestitism idea of wearing drag, it stimulates me 
uh, to uh, sexual arousal. And I've never really ever felt that in that way. But on the other hand, there's other elements that come in that you're not in your usual male attitudes and things like that. And then you've got this chance to play around with a whole thing here that is like big and fabulous. And does it, how does it make me feel? It's not what you see, it's how I feel. I feel like this, this makes me feel fantastic. Oh, this has got such a swing to it. Oh, I can do a lot more with it. Oh, I can play, you know, so. And then is that sexual? Is that that area? Yes, sometimes it's like, wow, this, I, I'm feeling this. This is, this dress is doing it. It's me in as well. You know what I mean? It's not just what you look like. It's something you bring in that. Anyway, so sometimes there's a lot of stuff in there to do with um, what you're wearing. And uh, oh, and I've got picked up by a guy, a Hasidic guy, and it's just you're in this rotten old rags and things like that. You think, oh well, that's what you're turned on by, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the garbage guy. Remember the garbage guy? I couldn't believe him. That was a trip. <laughs> a lot of Uber drivers. <laughs> Um, I think that's all we maybe have done on that note. Um, closeted Uber drivers, thank you very much. <laughs> Give it up for Stuart and Lavinia. I've been Crystal. Thank you, Newington Reading Meeting House, for having us. Thank you for coming. And um, enjoy the exhibition. Thank you, Dan. Oh, yeah. <laughs>